interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Kerry Edelman Show. Welcome to The Carrie Edelman Show. I am super excited today as we have the TV writer, producer, and humor illustrator, John Matta, coming on momentarily. So I'm just going to do a brief introduction for the show. He's going to be one of the amazing talents that I've had the honor and pleasure of interviewing. Um, some of the talents I've had on my show include award-winning cartoonist Bob Eckstein, comedian and head writer of Seinfeld, Peter Melman, Mad Magazine illustrator Ed Steckley, New York Times bestselling author Jennifer Kishan Armstrong, and renowned mastering engineer Mayor Applebaum, to name a few. So please check out the podcast. It's available on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And I really do a different type of interview. We're really going to delve into um, John's life story today and, you know, get into how he became this amazing TV writer and producer, as well as his um, napkin illustrations that he does, which are absolutely phenomenal. So if you're tuning in, create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. And also a little bit about my background. I always put this out there. Um, my background is in clinical psychology, but my show is purely for entertainment purposes. We're not going to be doing any assessment or therapy. I always just throw that out there. But at times we might talk about um, psychological concepts in more of a you know general educational format if it is um, deemed appropriate. All right, so let's do an introduction for John, and then we're going to bring him on. So as I mentioned, he's a TV writer and producer, best known for his work on The Martin Short Show, Steve Harvey's Big Time, Kid President Declaration of Awesome, and The Epic Adventure of Captain Underpants, to name a few. He's also the creator of Madden Napkin, where he draws this incredibly funny, witty one-panel cartoon on a napkin, um, which all started when, unfortunately, his uh, famous actress wife, Rose Abdo, was undergoing cancer treatment, excuse me, as a silly way to make her laugh. Um, So it it had exhausted her, it delighted her, and eventually she had shared with him that he needs to let other people uh, be in on this. So Madden Apkin was uploaded to the internet and it took the world by storm. He has a book out right now titled Madden Apkin, a daily comic on a napkin in a book. So please check it out. It's available at all major book outlets. And uh, also be sure to visit his website, maddenapkin.com, where he has other products for purchase. There's some celebrity-drawn napkins and a lot more um, entertaining stuff. So let's uh, get John on here. Hi. Hey, John. How are you? Hey, Carrie. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm disappointed that you're not going to delve deeply and figure out a lot of uh, issues that I currently have (laughs) and have had. Oh, my. As I get older, I get crazier. Well, I, I can I can empathize with that. Same with me. I, I'm definitely a neurotic individual, but uh, we can talk off the air. So we can all, and again, of course, feel free to delve into whatever you want to. You know, people, whatever you feel comfortable with. I just, like I said, kind of preface, I'm not going to be doing, I'm not a Dr. Phil. I, I really take my, my career <laughs> and my profession seriously. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean personally for me, that's not, you know, that's not who I am. But um, mm-hmm. anyway. Welcome to the show, and um, it's so great to have you on. And like I said, I came across your illustrations, your napkins online. I delved a little bit more into who you were as a person, and I was like, wow, this guy's really interesting, and he would be a really cool person to have on for an interview. Um, oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. 
So, so let's do this to start out here. So I always like to, if you heard of my interviews, um, I definitely like to start out from the beginning. So, and if I have this correct, because I wasn't 100% sure, tell me about where you grew up. Was it in New Jersey? Yeah, Lakewood. Uh, my, uh, my parents still live. They moved to the next town over Jackson, grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't clear that you could leave. So I <laughs> wow. went to college at uh, Glassboro, which is now Rowan University. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I got out of Jersey and uh, moved to Philadelphia. So okay. I lived in well, Philadelphia let's, let's for not, a bunch of years. Let's not pass too quickly. I want to I wanna digress a lot. Okay. But, um, well, we'll have to... Well, we'll talk off the air. That's that's very close to home for me, where you grew up. So that's very interesting. Um, where were you from in Jersey? Um, I'll tell you off the air. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, I will absolutely. But as I said, it's uh, I'm very familiar with. Yeah, I don't want people not driving by the my town, parents' but home I, I know screaming it. at them. Yeah. Well, the big wow. deal was we had it. It was strange. It was a strange part of Jersey where. Bruce Springsteen's sister lived in Lakewood, so he would show up once a year, and then the neighbors would walk back and forth on the sidewalk trying to get a look at the boss. Uh, Mookie Wilson from the Mets lived there. Sylvester Stallone had a son that he bought the house of, uh, I think the last name of the gentleman was Schmertz, and he owned the Boston Celtics. So when he died, all the Boston Celtics came to town. And uh, I was the only one in town who wasn't allowed to go and stare at all the Boston Celtics because uh, my dad felt it was inappropriate and let this guy have his <laughs> funeral. And I think Aww. I was the only one that didn't go. But then you had, it was very strange, like Earl the Pearl Monroe from basketball and Dave Schultz. It was just weird celebrities were always in my hometown for some reason. And so it's not a big town. Lakewood's not a big town, but... The world was, you know, a little bit different back then where um, uh, Lakewood, big basketball town, and mm-hmm. uh, some, of the, some of the places around it, uh, Jackson, Bricktown, weren't as big. So when I go back, my uh, hometown now, Lakewood, is also the hometown. Uh, I, have, I believe they have the world's largest rabbinical college in the world is in Lakewood now. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It's a different town than when I grew up there. So, but it was like a little city where you had very wealthy people. Um, You had kids that, you know, kids that you find out later that, you know, that didn't have a lot that you're going Mm -hmm. to school with. And my dad was started off as a teacher. Then uh, he was community school director. My mom was also a teacher. Then she was a stay at home mom. Uh, and they laughed when I, my dad said, yeah, we kept your mom home to take care of you guys. But uh, <laughs> I don't know whether it helped or anything. You guys, uh, right. I don't know. You did what you did. I don't know what I did. So right. and it, it was a great and- place to grow up. So at least when I left Lakewood, you know, I'd met, you know, rabbis. I'd met people of, people of every different color, you know, mm-hmm. and so the world wasn't as scary to me when I got out into it because I knew so many different kinds of people. So for a small town, and the great thing it was also a small town where every neighbor was allowed to hit you if you were doing something wrong. So you'd <laughs> okay. always get smack in the head if you're walking around. And, what are you doing out here? I don't know. Right. Go home. Right. And by the time you got home, your neighbor called up your parents to let you know what you were doing wrong. <laughs> 
So right. it was a great place to grow up, I think. That's great. My brother. Yeah. Um, really quick, because I know you mentioned your parents. I was going to ask you what they did for a living, but you already answered that question. How many siblings did you have? And um, just share a tiny bit I about have, them, and then I'll delve into you. I have a brother and sister, brother who's a federal agent, and he lives in Connecticut now. And my sister works at Seton Hall University. So I'm oh, the nice. oldest. So it was one of those things where they made a lot of mistakes with me. So I was like the um, the canary in the coal mine where they would just do stuff and go, yeah, Catholic school is not working out. This one can barely read in second right. or third grade. We got to get them in a public school. So I think, and then when you look back at your parents, you just find out, you know, that they didn't know what they were doing. Right. <laughs> right. Aww. Which, they were um, hanging and we'll on by that. their fingernails. You know, they were early 20s. Then they had three kids. Couldn't imagine having three kids. Um, you know, they did what every parent did at that age, whereas they went to college. Most My grandfather sent my mother to college St. Francis to come back with a husband. You know, that was mm-hmm. the reason that she was sent to college. <laughs> and you're going, that sounds crazy. But it was more of how the world was back then. Right. It, like you um, said, it was a very different time. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. And my mom was Absolutely. really smart too, where she um, uh, decided to move to Jersey to, you know, my dad's family was in Pennsylvania. Hers were in Connecticut because I think they wanted to um, have a separate life, you know, from their okay. family. And plus my dad, when uh, he was in college, he got a draft notice. <laughs> And uh, he looked at it, he went, holy cow, I'm going to go to, I, I guess it was probably Vietnam then. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Said, yeah. So he ends up joining the ROTC, and uh, so now he's supposed to be in Jersey. But then, four months later, uh, he's looking at the draft notice, and he looks at the triple pit, and on the third one, it's from who's in the Army who wrote, hey, this is some great joke, huh, Mick? So no my dad way. joined the service because my uncle Don sent him a draft notice as a joke. Um, oh my! Well, I mean, how traumatic, right? I mean, that is. I know. Crazy. Even when you bring it up today, my dad goes, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like talking about that as much." So, and I think my uncle Don got beaten by his dad with a ketchup bottle. He was so mad. At and again, I'm sorry, I'm talking about a lot of hitting. But no, that's a lot no, of hitting going on stuff. when we I were mean, kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my dad just didn't. I mean, same thing with my dad. I, I, The fact that he didn't put a pillow over my face as a child, I destroyed everything <laughs> they owned. Whenever they came home, you know, there was not a lot of money. My dad was a teacher mm-hmm. in the beginning. So you find out he was making six, seven grand a year with three wow. kids. So right. anything that they bought for us, I just destroyed. Like they bought me a, nice, a little boy suit. I got scissors out and cut little diamonds in the suit. And then uh, every tabletop, I put Vaseline and powder on it. So they came home. They maybe weren't looking at me for 15 seconds and I did that. Uh, so it's amazing and, what and they if, put wait, wait, up with me. If you reflect back, why – why were why do you think you were doing that? Was it were you being silly? Were you trying to get attention? Were you angry? What do you think? What do you think was driving? I think it? I was just nuts. I think <laughs> I had a lot of, I think mean, just nuts. And uh, is the 
very lucky, and I think that's one thing that my wife and I find very attractive in each of us where we both love uh, her dad passed away, but we both have very good relationships with our parents. And okay. I think that's an nice. attractive thing to find. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, you know, some people aren't as lucky. I view it Absolutely. as very lucky, but I think she had a lot of relationships with fellows that weren't big fans of their mom or dad, and probably rightfully so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents uh, did the best. Uh, it was but it was a fun relationship where my parents made no effort to be friends with me. Uh, that always made me laugh. At one point I did something and my mother just said to me, uh, I said something or I was doing something goofy to my dad. And she said, uh, you know, I married him, right? And I just had you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh my God. I started laughing because I went, she's going to get rid of me if I don't shape up soon. And then she just started laughing. So I couldn't um, quite tell whether she was serious. But my mother, I come from a very funny family where my mom, if Barman and Bailey was in town uh, in New York, we would come home and she would have Groucho glasses on the dog. And we go, oh, my oh, gosh, do that. And she goes, well, the circus is in town. I don't want anyone stealing our dog. <laughs> and our dog wasn't a great dog. But she would do <laughs> such weird things. And the one thing she did to me that I never uh, – that always made me laugh is I'm left-handed. I used to talk about this on stage when I did stand up for a little bit. I'm left-handed. So my mom went to Marshall's and she got me what she said was a left-handed shirt. She said, okay. there's the buttons buttoned on the other side of the shirt. So, it, <laughs> so I go to school and then I find out there's another name for it. It's uh, called a blouse. So I have a shirt with a floral pattern on the first day of school. And oh uh, uh, kids, and you know how mean kids can be. So I come home and I almost have tears in my eyes because every kid and teacher is hammering me about the kid wearing a blouse to school. And uh, my mom, I just got home. <laughs> yeah, you should. You didn't know that? <laughs> So she just was such a goofball where she would do weird things like that. Or she loved scaring my brother in the linen closet as a kid. Oh so she God. would hide in the linen closet for maybe 40 minutes sometimes where you would open up the linen closet and see my mom in it, my mother in it. Uh, and she'd say, shut the door. Your brother's coming. <laughs> would shut it. Then you'd be downstairs watching TV and then you'd hear, ah, and then you'd hear my brother start screaming in fear, and then he'd start, and then it would always end with, do it again. So right. she would, a uh, couple days later, well, she'd sneak up. So they would, she was such, and she still is, just really funny and weird, but not in a way you would expect it. Right. You know, it's well, very I think quiet I, and silly, and right. it's just fun to be around. So I'm going to go back in June to see them. I haven't seen them in about a year and a half now. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think, and thank you for sharing all that. And, I, and, and hopefully her. I can, yeah. hopefully we can get all of your fans and friends to hear that. Cause again, I, I didn't find any of this stuff anywhere. And that's why I love just letting my guests kind of free associate and just, you know what I mean? Just kind of go off and talk about what they yeah. want to talk about. Cause you just get interesting stuff. And I think it ties in a lot to you, John, too, because your humor, it's, you know, and we're going to get into this. Um, 
you know, it's, it's very, it's witty, it's dry, it's dark at times. I love it. I mean, it totally suits oh, my sense you. of humor. And, and your mom clearly had some of that stuff going on. I mean, like you said, it wasn't abrasive, but, but it was strange at times, like you said, and it was funny. It's entertaining. And here you are who eventually gets involved in comedy and TV writing, producing, and, and now your artwork, which is, you know, displayed on napkins. Um, I think it does yeah. tie into your mom a little bit and some of the traits she has. Yeah, I think, too, when you grow up, anything – I would watch Fernwood Tonight with my mother, and uh, she would laugh so hard. And I think when you watch your parents laugh really hard, it's very magical to you. Mm-hmm. Where you go, that's that, – yeah, where you just go – yeah, where you go, that's a lot of power. And it made me absolutely love Fernwood Tonight. So I got lucky enough – um, where I got to work with Fred Willard a little bit. Yeah, and I, and I apologize. I'm not I'm not familiar with at Fernwood tonight. Just give, it, uh, give it me was a bullet. A, it, it was an uh, it was came out of the show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, where it was okay. a show where it was uh, with Martin Mull and Fred Willard. Uh, what it was was a parody of a of a talk show like Carson, but it took oh, okay. place in Ohio, and, and it was just. It's one of those things, if you get a chance, take a look at it. Okay. And people know Fred Willard from the Christopher Guest movies, and he played, like, the Ed McMahon. It was such a weird, uh, funny show, and I still remember watching it on the old black and white TV that we had to, you know, have pliers to change the channels with. Right. Um, so, cool. Which always drove me nuts as my dad, when I got older, I was going, why don't you spend 15 cents and buy another knot? And he uh, just <laughs> would have right. broken them. So I knew we could right. break pliers. So I think that was one of the things that made me think of maybe that I would like to do something like that. But, you know, growing up in Jersey, you don't really know anybody in show business. This isn't like mm-hmm. living in California or New York or places where you might know somebody. We, we had a neighbor who knew Charles McCord from the I'm the show. That's the closest I knew oh, wow. anybody ever in show business. Right. And even when I started working in it, I remember my mom asking me, but can you make a living doing this? Right. Um, <laughs> like, telling jokes. She goes, cause I always, she said, I always assume rich little had a day job. <laughs> so I went, well, yeah. I mean, I think he, cause every impression sounds like a Canadian guy. Uh, so she, uh, yeah, so there was no blueprint or any of this stuff of how to figure out how to do anything in comedy or do, it just seems so far away that that would never happen that maybe I would end up being teacher. You know, I just assumed I'd end up being a teacher the same, you know, as my father and my mother. So you do kind of what your parents do. I didn't know you could just take a job and do it. Right. You know, as you get older, you go. You can just do anything you want in life, which is both freeing and frightening at the same time. Definitely. So let's do this. Let's tie in because you've, you've delved into a lot of family history, which is great. So a lot sure. of my uh, ideas and questions have been answered. But so in addition to that show that you were watching with your mom, just pull in some other stuff you liked as a kid. Were there any specific sitcoms? Um, you know, just highlight a couple of those things, comedians that influenced you, because I want to build up this background so that we can delve into eventually after you get out of college and you're doing stand-up. Yeah. Were you doodling as a kid? You know, I want to pull in all the different things. I didn't do a lot of drawing. Like 
I wanted to, but I think I was always so intimidated by people with talent all the time mm-hmm. that you would watch somebody really do something well. And I, I was always one of those guys of going, well, if I can't do it better, I'm not going to do it. So I didn't really start drawing that much, but most of the TV I watched, like most kids, was um, you know, I, I still remember coming home every day at school at 3.30 and watching All in the Family, which mm-hmm. is very strange because my wife was on a show called Gilmore Girls, and right. I'm really good friends with Sally Struthers. Oh, so that's we funny. Were just at her house. So she was the first house we went to once we all got our shots in and stuff. So I just nice. think when you look back at it, you're going, what an inappropriate show to <laughs> allow a kid to watch at 3.30 after school every day. Uh, I loved it. The great thing, too, about New Jersey, and it's just a different world now, is uh, we used to get television from Philadelphia and New York. So mm-hmm. you got stations from both. So every Sunday, it was always uh, the incredible Mr. Limpet or Oh God was always on. Uh, I loved the 430 movie as a kid with uh, Jerry Lewis. Uh, mm-hmm. Martin Lewis movies were always so great. And then the sitcoms at the time, I didn't, we, my mom, my mother, oh, yeah, another thing she did was we had no idea there was such a thing as a TV guide. So okay. she would just tell us when shows were on so you'd get to see good times in a couple of the shows. And then you're just, wait, when does this come on? So it always seemed like magic to us. So it makes us sound like we were farm kids or something, but we just <laughs> we just had no idea when, wait, you can look in the newspaper, no one shows are on. It just, right. stuff just seemed to just come on TV like magic. And we didn't have a color team. My dad just, for some reason, they're very generous people, but for some things, we didn't, I didn't find out until I was in college that The Wizard of Oz was in color. Oh, gosh. So oh, that's I just, funny. Yeah, right. That was so weird. <laughs> it blew my mind. And when I came home, I said, when I came home from college, they then they had a color TV. So I'm going, wait, you, why color TV? Uh, what did you need a color TV for? Because you were never home. You know, part of it was, that you got out, you know, after you had breakfast, you left and you came home at dinner. And then all my brother, sister, and I, all three of us played sports all the time. So we were out doing stuff all the time. So there just wasn't a lot of TV to watch, you know. Right. So we right. were and doing stuff. And then when I got older, you know, I obviously, you know, David Letterman. And then I started just become a big, you know, I was always a big fan of comedy of, you know, always watching The Tonight Show and, 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 comedians and then Bob Euchre and then first time I listened to uh, Bob Newhart uh, Bill Cosby was a big one for me as a kid mm-hmm. it's hard to explain to people how big he was at one time and he still was until till he, he turned out to be a bit of a monster yeah so, pretty uh, unfortunate so it was I know thing that was so big and um it was a pretty urban city to Lakewood, so a lot of friends, like the younger guys they had were all guys that listened to Richard Pryor all the time. And that seemed very scary to me as a kid. Richard Pryor just seemed way adult to me for some reason. Okay. Uh, but I think I got to enjoy it later on, and then you start hearing, like, Lenny Bruce, and then then you mm-hmm. start getting into, when I got lucky enough to be around comedians, then you get to see, you know, 
Paul Poundstone, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Carol Liefer. It, it was funny that nice. a lot of my favorite comedians end up being women um, just because you're going, that just fits into the sensibility that really makes me laugh. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, those are, and, those are great. I mean, Carol Liefer, I've heard her on Stern in the past when she comes on. And, you know, I know she writes with, um, you know, Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld. And ah, just just great. Best. Yeah. She always had this joke, I don't have any kids. Well, at least none that I know of. That <laughs> always made me laugh so hard. And then I got lucky right. enough, and we'll get to it when I did stand-up, most of these acts I got to work with. And I think for most people, meeting people you're fans of doesn't always work out because they're human. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they're having a good day, sometimes they're having a bad day, or sometimes they're just asses. You know, right. <laughs> and it's a hard life being a comedian, but oh, yeah. my experiences oh. with everybody had been just each one was better than the next. Oh, uh, that's great. You know. Really great. So, yeah, that um, was the stuff that, that got me going. And in college, I got more into it. And then I wasn't sure, again, still not sure, even though I was in closer to Philadelphia, you know, I didn't know that you could just show up and start right. doing it. And, and real no quick, John, so real quick, and then we'll get into college, like you sure. said, and that stuff and how you got into comedy. You mentioned you all played sports growing up. What what sports did you play, um, you know, as a kid or in uh, high bas- school? I was a basketball and uh, uh, basketball and soccer. Uh, I hey. tried to play football, and then I went out, and then a guy clocked me. And I went, yeah, I'm going to go play soccer. Uh, <laughs> but and then I just kept hurting myself. And it's funny, I'm dealing with like broken wrists that happened in high school that never healed properly. Oh, no. But the big athlete in my family is my sister. She had like, I don't know, 15 or 20 letters, you know. Wow, for what sports? All of them. Basketball, softball, uh, lacrosse. Wow. Uh, she was able, yeah, yeah. And she played, she was a national horse champion when she was at Seton Hall. Where, oh, wow, that's uh, awesome. The guys would come in and dunk, and all Kathy would do was shoot uh, two foot jumpers and wear okay. people down, and it drove that's people great. crazy. But she would, uh, yeah. So she went to college at Seton Hall and then stayed there. And so, then stayed there. Yeah, sports was cool. big in my family. My dad played college basketball at St. Francis, so um, it, it got different where you had to start lifting weights, and you know, college basketball wasn't as big of a deal, but it was a big deal in mm-hmm. my hometown. Uh, but uh, the things that you're going to have to do, I was never going to do. You know, you okay. really had to take now. Now it's such a big deal where kids don't even play high school basketball anymore. They just play all year round in these different camps and sure. clubs and different world. Yeah. And real quick, just digressing back and then we'll fast forward to like getting sure. behind the college and stuff. You mentioned growing up, you said, you know, your parents had to do a lot of different things with you. And you mentioned having some challenges and I think it was second or third grade and with reading or writing, did you, did you struggle in school? And if so, you know, what did you struggle with and, and how did you cope with that? Or, you know, I know back, I'm not saying back then, like you're old, I'm just saying things were a lot different back sure. then with, you know, assessing kids and all the different, um, things we have today, so to speak, that maybe weren't available or we weren't aware back then what ADHD was or something like that. Oh, yeah. With being like, you know, I think I would have been uh, a mild dyslexia and a couple other things. 
Okay. Uh, that I def, you know, my wife will go again, numbers, you know, numbers move around on me a little bit. Uh, I still have sometimes keeping tenses correct in writing. You know, okay. so I have to, it, it's, it's a little, it's funny that I end up being a writer. Mm-hmm. Spelling is very difficult for me. Um, but I think the way that I dealt with it was just being a big goofball. As you said, it was a different time. I always made it, teachers always made it very clear to me, which was, uh, hey, if you don't make uh, my life miserable in this class, I'll give you a C. How does that sound? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll shut up in the back. Uh, So that's being a big goofball. So that went through even college where I would just hammer teachers at some point. Uh, Okay. So I was a a big pain in the neck. Uh, Also, my dad, too, was he was almost he was community school director. So he was a version of the superintendent of schools. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and a lot of the teachers worked for him. So I knew a lot of the teachers, assistant principals personally, and they were really great guys. But my senior year when I broke my wrist, I think I had 420 cuts or something where I just didn't show up to school at all. And most of the people, I think everybody just felt bad for me. So, oh, wow. And also I didn't really apply myself mm-hmm. as much. Uh, it, it wasn't that, just nothing really truly interested me. Right. You know, and I felt that it was also a time where most kids could skate through education so much different right now with the testing and stuff that they have to do. We didn't have any of that stuff. Right. Right. Uh, and how really quick, how did you break your wrist? Oh, on a couple different ways on a goalposts and soccer, uh, basketball. So I broke both of them. One, I had to get surgery. So it was looking like I might play some college basketball. It looked like if I really applied myself and my dad was going to redshirt me for a year, I'd go to a prep school. But then it just seemed to me like I'm not going to do what is necessary to become competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then some of the guys too, you know, so I got to play in some Jersey Shore leagues and play against some really good players. Like I, remember playing a league with these guys, the Gauchos out of New York, which was this this insane millionaire who got the best players in New York. He had his own team and he played against. So it was like Harlem Globetrotters of high school kids and Chris Mullen okay. played on and it. Cool. So it was fun to, and I loved the game, but as I got older, it's just, eh, it's not for me. So it's mm-hmm. just same thing was like, once I got out of high school, even college didn't really appeal to me either. And where but, did you, um, Real quick, where did you apply to college? I went to Ocean County College for a little bit, and uh, I graduated from there uh, Uh just because I just didn't want – it just seemed ridiculous to me of of having to pay that much money. And I didn't even realize it. I got into Seton Hall and a couple other places. Finally ended up at Glassboro because it was 30 bucks a credit. And, okay. Wow. Uh, it took me five years to get out of finally, you know, so I took the five-year plan for college and okay. uh, just a liberal arts degree and still nothing really, it didn't what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do, but it just seemed impossible. So that when you're in, I so was going to do, 
So when I was in college, I ended up writing for a disc jockey in Atlantic City. I'd write, I sent him some jokes, and he liked them, and he would pay me for some of them. Okay. Um, so that was interesting to me, and I, I love the idea of like, wow, wouldn't that be fun to be part, part of a radio show? Mm-hmm. So I took one radio class in college, and the guy worked at, I can't remember what station in Philly, uh, he was a DJ too, and then he had all of us just do the call letters of a radio station. He went down the line and told two people who had the kind of voice to be on the radio and everybody else to go home and get the money back for the class because you'll never be in radio. Oh, gosh. So, well, real, well, real yeah. quick, and I don't know, are you, are you a fan of Stern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, okay. It's funny. I started listening to him again during the pandemic. Okay. I listened to him in the beginning of Sirius, and I guess with life and stuff, you just, at just some kinda... point, I going, hey, stop listening to him. But then I started listening to him again, and it was like a Thanksgiving Day dinner where it's not your favorite dinner all the time, but it's really fun and comforting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really fun listening to him. And because I always enjoyed the first hour and the last hour of Stern, you know, when right. he would talk about things, you know, the other mm-hmm. stuff, uh, strippers and symbians and all this other stuff. You're going, ah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, right. I got a girlfriend or a wife. I'm, I'm okay. Right. <laughs> I don't have to hear that. Uh, I, but it was, you know, they'd still do stuff that's shocking. So, yeah, I, as a kid, I remember my dad, we were home, and I called up the Stern Show, and I got put on the air. And, oh, wow. Uh, said, what are you doing on the Howard Stern Show? I, go, I don't know. This is when you could call up, and he would pick up his phone in his office. Uh, so, okay. Uh, so I was a big fan of that. And then when he was in Philadelphia, he really took apart this guy, John DeBella, who had like a 40 share and was the biggest thing in Philadelphia radio. And okay. And just took him apart prove that he could be syndicated and the and only reason i really mentioned that guy. too was when you said like all of you guys walked into this you know this clash are in right and they all say to you um none you know only two of you are going to be able to make it go home it just reminded me of him because i really empathize with the story of how he was told so many times you know you're never going to make it you stink and i always yeah. love that kind of underdog quality in, in any type of person so i just thought of that yeah. when you brought that up it just you know i i just thought of when he talks about that type of stuff and yeah well you gotta i think with you know you gotta fail in life a lot Uh uh-huh that's one of the harder things that um for kids and uh i was a little bit more self-conscious till i don't know till college and then uh, I really didn't care. Like I was the same thing. I was nuts in school. So I was always a guy that people, teachers would go, Hey, do you want to, do you want to give a speech? Do you want to, there's a pep rally. Do you want to talk? So we had one pep rally once where they were doing uh, buses, uh, doing some kind of maintenance on the buses. So all the buses were in front of the school. So during the pep rally, I just started talking. And then at some point I said, Hey, for the uh, principal green just said, that you guys are so great that they're going to let school out early today. So the buses are out front. Have a great day, everyone. See you at the game tomorrow. Right. So the bus drivers just 
took the kids and everybody went home and boy, people started yelling at me. And then I got home. My dad said, did you let school out early today? (laughs) Yeah, I did that. So I would always do stuff. There was always something like that, that I was doing. So I, I didn't really, it dawned on me pretty early that adults are just as confused and dumb as I am as a kid. Uh, And I think that's what I got from sports because they always said that the best players would play. But the bottom line was that the, the coach also had a mortgage, so he had to win games. Mm -hmm. So you'd go, (laughs) why is that guy playing? He didn't show up to practice six times. And you're, well, (laughs) this guy has got to pay bills. So that was something the teacher so much with my dad Uh, and you know, or they'd have people over or I'd get to meet them at the office or something. You're going, yeah, they're just goofballs just like us. So I was never as intimidated by adults, okay. so, which I think was different than other kids. And even my dad, I would just call him Mike all the time. So and my mom, Muriel. <laughs> hey, Muriel, what do you got going on today? So, But I would always do it in a way where it wasn't disrespectful right. it wasn't to them disrespectful. in front of other Yeah, but I mean, it was always that going on where my dad really didn't start laughing at things that I did till after college because he always felt that just don't get him started because if you get right. him started it's gonna not end well for all of us so, so, so yeah so let's tie in this I think this is a good point because you're talking about just humor making people laugh your father so tell us a little bit about and I don't know exactly where you guys were but you know you're done with college and you're taking a walk with your dad and um, he's oh, asking yeah. you, I guess, if you're going to move back home. I'm a, I don't know where you were at this point, if you were in Philly. But you, you made an interesting statement to him, which stood out to me when I was doing my, my homework on you, that you, you told him that all you really wanted to do with your life is was laugh. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, explain a little bit. And he looked at me like, Go ahead. yeah, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I, well, it was that walk of, um, so what's your plans, you know? They, they were very generous. My parents paid for all of my college. You know, they made sure, I mean, really great. I mean, I, some kids are able to get mm-hmm. out of school, particularly now, and owe 150 or 200 grand. Oh, I know. Right. You know, I just don't. So my parents, it was a big thing. Very clear that my bachelor's. And that's when the bachelor's was a little bit more important than it is now. Now it's like a GED. Um, So my dad had the talk with me of, so what's your plans? Do you have a resume together? And I went, no. He said, do you have any job opportunities? And I went, no. And he goes, so what do you want to do? And I just said, well, I just want to laugh. And he just looked at me for a long time. And he just went, all right, uh, we'll work it out for you. It was amazing. Uh, right. It was amazing. Now that I look back at, okay, we'll talk to your mom about it and we'll see what we can work out for you. So he, uh, uh, I mean, what, what would, if I was a parent, I, I would have gone nuts, I think. Right. So he just was such a sweet, and he didn't, like I said, like I didn't say, hey, I want to be in show business or I wanted, you know. Right. I, was yeah, it was no very plan. Right. Yeah. Like same thing. Well, there were some things, like I remember saying when college came around, I go, I think I'd like to go to art school. And they went, you're not going to an art school. 
And <laughs> because I'd never shown any proclivity or wanting, it wasn't like I had drawing pads or if I put in even the bare minimum, if right. I even drew a straight line on a paper, my parents would have said, great, let's get them into an art school. But they just weren't buying me just saying art school out of nowhere. So <laughs> I got really lucky and I moved to Philadelphia. With, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, so I was there and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I still couldn't quite figure it out. Like I couldn't figure out how to do anything. So I worked uh, as a, uh, uh, with special needs adults uh, with uh, employment stuff. So you're helping people with special nice. needs uh, get jobs. And, mm-hmm. and then part of the thing I was working in a shelter workshop, uh, the company name was Path. Um, it's still there in uh, Northeast Philly. I think it still is. And one of the guys, Leo, Leah, Lee, I think was his name, who sounded like Bobcat Goldthwait. Every, he was he had to have a lot of supervision, <laughs> and uh, he uh, at one point he got a nickel every fifteen minutes if he stayed on task. And okay. I was working in my office, and I just knew him. I didn't work with him at all, but you know you're around everybody. And uh, Lee came in my office, and he sounded like Bobcat Goldthwait. He went, "I need my nickel. I need my nickel. Where's my nickel? Ah, I need my nickel." <laughs> <laughs> and he ripped his class to me bag off and shot it all over the walls oh, of the gosh. office. That I was in. Oh so my gosh. Looked, and all I did was I went, ah, okay, Lee, let's uh, figure out this nickel situation. <laughs> so I brought him out and then I went back in and I went, I don't know about this. So I called my buddy KR up and I said, Hey, get a suit and uh, let's drive around the country. So KR got a suit. I got a suit. I figured in case our car broke, my car broke down someplace, and we just drove around for a couple months looking at the United States. And uh, then uh, at the end of it, uh, I just figured, like, I got to do something. And Mm -hmm. it dawned on me, if I don't do comedy, it's going to drive me crazier if I don't do it than if I do it. Okay. So it was a strange thing of going, I can't keep thinking about wanting to do this. So I moved back to Philadelphia and there was a club called the funny bone was opening up Mm -hmm. and I got a job as uh, yeah, I I don't know whether it's still there. It was a chain of places. So I ended up getting a job. So they did a soft open and there was a comedian by the name of Jeff Weinschmutz uh, who was uh, (laughs) a comedian and he was hosting the show. And I said, man, I'd really love to do stand up." And uh, he said, well, you just got to do it. And I, well, I don't know about that. I had a couple of jokes in my pocket and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to introduce. And uh, so I'm standing in the back. Of, I go up on stage. I do five minutes. I did really well out of nowhere, which was bizarre. Again, I was not afraid to talk in front of people. It was just not something I was ever really afraid of. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy who owned one of the owners of the Funny Bone came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to put you on the road for the Funny Bones. How long have you been doing stand-up? Like five, six years? (laughs) I went, no, this is my first time. (laughs) And he went, so I ended up then doing – I worked the Funny Bones, Comedy Works in Philly, which was the big one, too. 
on um, on Chestnut was became my home club, and I ended up doing stand up in Philly for about four or five years, and it was really a ball. So, you know, at that time That's you could cool. make I don't know 150, 200 bucks a week, which seemed like way too much money to have. You know, you didn't have to buy any drinks. You know, so it was a fun. And right. Philadelphia was it's a hard place. I don't know if you've ever seen the Bill Burr screaming at the audiences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, really I'm not hundred percent, but I've yeah, I've heard I've heard some interviews with him, and he's yeah. Oh, excellent. they're brutal. Yeah. Oh, they are brutal. Wow. They will let you know if you're not funny, and they'll walk up to the stage to tell you. Oh, so gosh. I got very lucky, and I moved up very fast in in, in Philadelphia. But there were just so many more comedians that were so much better. Um, there are a couple guys that are doing really well, a guy by the name of uh, Paul F. Tompkins, okay. who's a silly guy, uh, the director, Adam McKay. He ended up going then to Chicago to Second City. But um, there were some really good guys. So it was the kind of stuff where we really didn't care what the audiences thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just were there to make each other laugh in the back of the room. So you would work for bookers or other guys and they would go, Hey, do a couple hack jokes up front, you know, get the audience on your side. Our deal was just locked into being as funny as you could be on your own material. So it was just a big group of us that we just, uh, another guy by the name of Frank Barnett, Dennis Horan. These are guys that still kind of do Philly there, do okay. stuff there. And the bigger guys were like big guys. So it was really, I don't know whether it was the best place to start, but it was a just really great, people that I met. Yeah, know, it sounds like you guys they, definitely they were, supported they were good each other. Silly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good one where guys would help you out with stuff. Um so it was you know guy, guy another guy, Kevin Sullivan. There's some some guys are, you know, still Jimmy Carroll, Mike Stanklitz, the guys that are still plowing away and doing the work, which is amazing. You know, it is. guys that now they're headliners, Joey Kelly and guys that I knew back then. But I haven't really been back to Philly. And I think that helped me as a writer because there were times where I had up to two to 3000 people hate me and I could care less. Right. So (laughs) with writing, then if you go to pitch something or you got a meeting or something, or you pitch a joke in a room and if people don't like it, it doesn't matter. It's only one person. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> you went, oh, I've had so many more people hate me than just <laughs> right. you. So, so it's an odd no, that's, philosophy. That's great. Thank you for sharing that background with the comedy because I want to let's definitely transition because I want to spend, like I said, a decent amount of time on the Matt and Napkin. Um, sure. So, yes, shift a little bit for, you know, like you said, this taught you a lot about writing, you know, doing stand up and being in the business. When did you decide that, hey, you're going to really you know, kind of jump ship and, and move to L.A. And yeah, start to take us into your, your TV business career. Well, you, you've I was, for some uh, major shows. yeah, I got luck. Well, I was at a bar with Paul F. Tompkins and we looked at each other and we go, we can't have another year of being here in Philadelphia. And they went, yeah, I agree. Okay. We're not going to have another year like this. And then we had the same conversation a year later. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so then he was going to go to Chicago. I was going to go to the Bay Area. I tried the Bay Area a little bit. 
some of the times, you know, sometimes when you move to a new town, you get really lucky and you start working right away or other towns make you wait a year. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get online and wait your turn. And I really don't want to wait my turn. Paul went to Los Angeles. And the great thing about working the funny bone so much, I knew a lot of comedians that were both national acts and guys that were living uh, in California, you know, like Andy Kimmler, okay. Roger Rittenhouse, there were a lot of really good people. So finally, uh, I tried living in New York, and New York was just a bit much for me. Uh, I lived with my girlfriend at the time, Nancy, off of East 95th Street. She had a place there, and my car kept getting stripped all the time. So oh, I'm really professionally done where they cut out the air conditioning and everything. It, it wasn't uh, just an idiot cutting the club and not taking change. These guys stripped this car wonderfully. Um, oh no. So then I just finally decided, well, I'm going to go to Los Angeles. I get to Los Angeles. Uh, I, see, I see people, my friend Karen Kilgariff, who's got a great podcast called My Favorite Murder, um, you just saw cool. the best, funniest people in the world. Marilyn Rice, couples, and one. They were just these great Dana Gould. You'd see people go up, and it was like watching Michael Jordan play basketball, mm-hmm. where I was a good comedian, and I think comedy takes time. You know, you, you don't really, the first year, you kind of think you know what you're doing. The third year, you know you don't know what you're doing. The fifth year, you start going, well, maybe it's this. And then the 10th year, I have found, is when you really start your voice. And okay. I couldn't like basketball going, I don't think I both have the skills set for this. Uh, I'm a much stronger writer. So I'm going to stop doing stand-up. And it was a okay. great stand-up scene because it was all the alternative stuff that they called it. So it was David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, the Mr. Show stuff. So, I mean, these guys were just all world-class mm-hmm. funny. So, But I knew I could keep up with writing, but it, I, it goes back to college again, going, but how am I going to get into it? Right. So I just stayed on my couch for about two months and tried to figure it out, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then a really funny comedian by the name of Pat Oswalt brought me into the uh, movie awards and they did not want to hire me, but Patton got me in there, dragged me in and uh, got to work for Ben Stiller and uh, oh, wow. Dick and those guys. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was, and then the guy who showed guy by the name of Joe Gallen ended up firing me and he just went, you're out of ideas. <laughs> and I went, I, no, I don't think I'm out of ideas. Joe, I really don't think I am. He's nuts, but he was the great first boss. Uh, okay. He's the great kind of nuts. He's very and this talented was, what guy. Did he, he's one of those. What did he specifically He did all the movie from? award shows. And uh, the MTV? he does a lot of bigger um, um, spectacle kind of things. Like okay. Springsteen stuff. So uh, Tenth Planet's the name of his company. So okay. then he ended up. Then. Stiller just went, well, where's that long hair guy? Because I had long hair back then. And he okay. said, I, I, I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> so, so then they brought oh, him back. Uh, and then I asked for more money, which is the first time I ever did that in my life. You know, So they gave me more money. I, I got the job. And then I got – so then after that, like most things in life, work, you got other work. 
So I ended up doing the fashion awards and mm-hmm. uh, ended up doing like a couple more different award shows. And then I did a thing for the fashion awards for Andy Dick. And then that's where Andy liked me. And um, so then I ended up doing the, uh, the Andy Dick show with him. So yep. that kind of, so it's, it's, like most things in life that you hear right. sometimes that the hardest thing isn't getting your foot in the door. It's staying there. I okay. disagree. It's the hardest thing is getting your foot in the door. Right. You know, getting yeah. once you're in and people are paying money for you this way they can justify to their boss. Uh, if you don't do a great job of going, <laughs> well, he worked for Ben Stiller. You know, so that turned out to be, so then I just started working, but even with show business, part of it was like, I didn't know you were supposed to build a career. You know, I always wanted to be with the funniest and best people all the time. So that's often how I pick jobs that I would do. Like the reason I did, um, you know, I did the Martin Short show is Mm -hmm. I, I loved SCTV as a kid. That was right. a show, another show that I watched, you know, when I was in high school and nobody, there were no comedy nerds back then. So I'd go back to school and talk about watching SCTV and they go, oh, that weird show. Nobody, right. you find one guy, my buddy, Kevin Hogan, who enjoyed it. So he became my best friend because we both liked the same thing. That's how Not best true. friends are. But again, you'd always turn on each other if a girl was involved or anything else. <laughs> Right. Um, so that's one one of the reasons. And my buddy Blaine Capatch and Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall was there, and Toby Hester, all people that I loved. Um, I I just went okay. So that so I want it. So I would like to do that next, please. So nice. that ended up. So that's always how my decisions were made, as opposed to which I think is both good and not good. It's good to always um, passions. But sometimes there's a good idea to have a bigger game plan about stuff. Right. You know, to right. try and figure yeah, out I mean, what your career is. Yeah, you had some great shows. I mean, like you said, Martin Short Show, MTV Music Awards, the VH1 Fashion Awards, just to list a couple here, Steve Harvey's Big Time Challenge, talk show with Spike Furston. And you know what's so funny, real quick, the only reason I recognize that name is because I read the um, book called Seinfeldia. That um, Jennifer oh, yeah. Christian Armstrong. Oh my! And and you know, just learning about all the different writers. I'm a huge fan of that show. So the book was phenomenal yeah. because that's how I learned I about people Spike's like him. One, yeah, I think his big one was a soup Nazi was his. Was it? I can't. I mean, there so, were so many people at this point. I'd have to go back in the book. <laughs> yeah, he did the uh, No Soup for You was written right. by Spike. So he wow. had a talk yeah. show, and then it got interrupted by the writer strike. And then I met Spike working on the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Okay. Uh, okay. Which was uh, uh, one of the one of the first hidden camera shows. Because after that, you know, they so there were there was a while there where. Like I, I did a Paris Hilton one and a couple things of hidden oh, camera funny. stuff. Right. Just because you kind of knew how it worked with, we would do IFB headsets so you could pitch lines to people while mm-hmm. the actors are doing it. So I think I did five or six hidden camera shows just because I learned the rhythm and how to do it at Jamie Kennedy experiment. Nice. Nice. So let's do so this. It was I a, want to start another to... fun one. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, go ahead. 
Um, yeah, just to just to delve a little bit into getting towards the uh, not a napkin stuff. Real quick, are you involved in any other um, TV projects right now? And and just I'm curious, you know, what would you look for in a project? Let's say someone came to you and had something like a Seinfeld idea, you know, and I'm using Seinfeld as an example because when they started, when I read that book, it was just so fascinating to read that. I mean, it was just like a little idea, like it was nothing developed or fleshed out. You know, are you the type of person where you have an eye for, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. I think I'd like to look into that more. Or like you said, would it have to be something that's more developed and, and ready to roll? I think both. I, I okay. Think- for most people, the one thing I never know what's funny, but I know what's unfunny every single time. Okay. So okay. comedy always surprises you. There've been. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, and everybody can name, you know, a hundred different people that thought that they should be famous. You know that aren't. It's such a weird thing which catches on with people. Right. Um, like I said. The napkin thing is something that people absolutely love, and I, I didn't really think of it that way. I right. just thought of, well, I'll just do this because it's fun. You know, back in the day, you know, there were times where I remember, you know, seeing Tenacious D with only three people in the audience, and then two years later, they're playing to a stadium in England. Right. So, and then yeah. two were trying to develop stuff. Um, mostly I've been trying to do my own stuff. So there are a couple different things that working on and trying to figure out. And I think also the business end is trying to figure out what they're going to be doing right now. How wide is California going to open up soon? I don't think they shot as many pilots. My wife did um, on HBO Max, it's called Hacks with Gene Smart. Okay. So she shot that all during the pandemic. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, so yeah, it was please a um, weird give her a plug one. too. Her, you know, please mention her name. I know she's done, like you said, oh, Parenthood and Gil- Yeah, she's she's the the funniest person I know. She's also the most talented person I know. She's, uh, you know, I think she's got ninety or some credits. Most of the people know her from Gypsy from the Gilmore Girls, or mm-hmm. um, they do Gilmore Girls. They, there's the place uh, friends that do Gilmore Girl convention. So now we ended up going to one in Connecticut, and as we're as we're driving up, it was this long line. It was raining out. It was I don't know sixteen hundred people, and Rose went, "What are those people there for?" And I said, "I think they're there to see you." <laughs> so she's really Aww. beloved her character Gypsy. So she did Parenthood is another one that people love mm-hmm. her from. She did Curb. So she was a second city gal. And, cool. Um, so yeah, and it was funny that when I was in. In Philadelphia, I watched a show that she did called Johnny Bago about a guy who was on the run for the mob in a, uh, in a camper, and she played his ex-wife, who was also a federal agent, and it was done by Robert Zemeckis. And I only saw – they only did five episodes of it, but I remember loving it. And Aww. then it was weird to go, I think that's Rose from uh, Johnny Bago. <laughs> so, and when I first met her, we on our I think our first day. Yeah, where did she said, you? Hey, I'm um, going to do this thing. Where did called, you meet her? I, I met her at an art gallery that was also a stand-up place called Steak. Okay. So she uh, she just there was talking to her friend Susie, and then somebody said, I think Rose said, "Who's what smells so good?" And I said, "It's me." 
So <laughs> I hugged them all, and then they went, it is you. I go, I know. And then I just, for some reason, I got nervous as we were talking. Uh, I just said, hey, did you ever just uh, swallow money for no reason? She went, what are you talking about? And I said, yeah, I, I was online in a movie once, and I just had three quarters, and I just put it in my mouth and swallowed them. And then she like, well, why would you do that? Did you look for it later? I went, no. So at the end of the night, she leaves, and uh, she's across the room, and I yelled, hey, Rose, and I threw a quarter to her, and she said, I have absolutely Aww. no athletic ability. So about 20 yards, she reaches up and catches the quarter, and we both look at each other. And then, of course, I threw $8 more of quarters at her because uh, I'm a jerk. <laughs> And then uh, we went on a date, and then uh, I told her bring some cash just in case it goes bad. And uh, she had $4 in her shoe. And uh, then at the end of the date, I said, pretty much I'm going to call you every day. And uh, I have. That's so I awesome. called her every day. Yeah, so I got really, really lucky. And California is oh, a hard place. It's oh, a hard place I can't to even imagine. I've only been out there a couple of times, John, and I just, I, it, it is, it's just, and again, only from, and I'm, I don't mean to be like pigeonholing stuff, but it is a different place and just the personalities of the people and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very, I'm a very kind of, you know, grounded, authentic type of person and, uh, you know, dealing with like narcissism and that type of stuff is just, not that I can't deal with it, but it's I'm just saying not, it's, it's not a different easy. It's, you don't yeah. want that on your free time with no. hanging out with people. Most of my friends here are um, either people are from here are my favorite because they didn't move here to become the assholes they always dreamed of, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, like I got to make it right. before my high school reunion, those kind of people. Right. Uh, and you know what? The people you went to high school with aren't thinking of you. <laughs> they don't care. Um, right. Or uh, a lot of Chicago people, as with Rose being in Second City, so Mia Vardalis is a really good friend of hers, Susie Nakamura, who uh, another great character actor. And so it's a bunch of gals that she's known for 25 or 30 years. And That's then, because cool. uh, I think they get into Chicago Second City, they're just about being funny. They're not looking to end up on Mad TV or SNL. It became mm -hmm. that later on, but they're just really good people. And Chicago people, I keep finding, are very uh, family-based. So a lot of these guys that you know from TV shows and other things, they all within, live within two, three blocks of each other. Wow. So it's really quick. Even, you know, Eric Stone Street from, from – uh, uh, who played Cam. Um, oh, yeah, he was... A, these guys... Wait, thank you for bringing him up real quick, and I'm doing this as a joke. Modern but family. wait, I had yeah. him... I wrote something down about his... Um, wait, he's the one who did on your napkin site, right? He's one of the yeah, celebrity drew, napkins. He drew, wait, he was I said a, that... <laughs> he was one of the guys right out the gate, was a huge fan of it, and he loved, too, that I would take pictures in my neighborhood and put them up of people that in Glendale where we live, they uh, people leave their Christmas lights up all year round. So I would write Merry June, Miss. So he would be <laughs> delighted by that. Of uh, people here, leave them up all year round. They just unplug them uh, after Armenian New Year's. 
And then okay. they're up all year round. And it makes me laugh so hard to see uh, uh, Christmas lights up all the time. But I, now it doesn't bother me as much after the year we had. You know what? If you want to leave your Christmas lights on all year round or leave your tree up, do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I was going to I was going to make a joke just because in in my profession and, and I do a lot of evaluations and assessment and a lot of like Rorschach stuff and things. And again, this uh-huh. is this is not wait, this is not based on research, so I'm saying this is a data point. Keep it at that. Uh-huh. But I loved his snowmen, but the drawings were so odd in some ways. I was like, yeah. I need to have a conversation with him because there's a lot going oh, on there. Yeah. But again, I'm <laughs> I'm just keeping like I'm keeping it very neutral and very appropriate. But when I looked at them, I was just like, Oh, like, you know, just right away, I was able to look at different things. Again, it's a data point. It means absolutely nothing. But when you put it into oh. a full avow, you can sometimes see themes. So I just, it struck me. And I wrote his down because I wrote down just a couple of the um, celebrity napkins that I was going to get to later. But yeah, so that was just oh, funny. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you see stuff and you go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's great. But it was just funny because that's when I saw that that was the first thing that popped. That was the association that popped into my head was doing an avow and seeing something like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, but he's great. He's great. And um, yeah, so no, it was really cool. Okay, so let's get into the Madden napkin and, and how that was born. So Unfortunately, I know as you had talked about, unfortunately, Rose had been sick for a little while, and I'm assuming she's she's doing well now. She's in remission. Yeah, completely. This is excellent. Um, I mean, we still she still has to go like every six months, so it's uh, sure. you know it moved up from three to six. But yeah, it was something that just came out of nowhere. Where I was doing this thing for Brad Garrett and um, for I forget what it's called, iKid, and. Uh, uh, Rose called up and said, I think I might have appendicitis and they're going to oh, take gosh. it out, but I want to buy this bureau later on today. So I said, what? She goes, yeah, I'm <laughs> going to get surgery and then I'm going to buy this bureau. And I go, okay. So, but then we start talking and then she's going, but it could be cancer. Oh, <laughs> go, gosh. Right. So we're both kind of nervously laughing. And then Brad there, uh, and I just worked there for a couple weeks and I see and I go, I take my headset off. We're working. And uh, we were actually shooting something. And I said, hey, I got to go. Uh, my wife's getting surgery. And Brad looked at me and he went, you got a wife? I thought you were gay. <laughs> so oh, everyone gets quiet and I can't stop laughing. He knew exactly the right thing to say. It was Aww. fantastic. Right. So I run down. Next thing you know, then it turned into this big deal thing so uh it 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 kind of what might be better or worse some people like to be prepared i'd rather be surprised right you know so there's no way to but you do find that people really step up you know people i did not expect uh doctors and other people so yeah we we had that so it it worked out beautifully she's fine but what you try to explain to people we I think because they did an article about Rose and Parenthood, she played this character, uh, Gwen Chambers, who died of cancer. So she did that a year after the uh, diagnosis of being told that she had. Yeah. So it was a okay, full wow. year after. So that was weird. Mm-hmm. That was weird that she died. And then um, 
when they the only time I really lost it is they put the makeup on her, and uh, I walked in the room and it looked exactly how she did once or twice. And Lauren Graham was on the show, who was on Gilmore Girls, so she saw me just leave the room. Uh, and she was really sweet about it. So it was this weird thing of this could have gone left or this could have gone right. Mm-hmm. So while it was doing the chemo stuff, and the hard thing is what you have to tell people is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. You know, they, they, they don't lie to you, but they don't tell you everything, you know, because they know you're not going to, you're not going to know that they're going to stop chemos in between because your body can't take it. So the plan mm-hmm. is to try to kill you all the time with the chemo to make you oh, better. Gosh, right. So it goes longer and people get really locked into, but you said this was only six treatments. It's, it's, I think that's what I think drove everybody crazy about this COVID. And I think we were a little bit better of, understanding that mm-hmm. you don't have as much control of your life as you think you have. Right. And right. Uh, so as she's going through this, uh, you're always getting medication and stuff. So I'm online on a subway and a woman puts her baby up on the counter and demands that the kid's sandwich artist, the kid who's like maybe six can try the meats before it, he puts the, the meat on the sandwich. Wait, wait, real quick. The kid was 16? No. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. So maybe said the... six. Oh, no, sorry. The kid who was the sandwich technician at oh, oh, the kid, was 16. The, sorry. Okay. She <laughs> so brought the her kid that baby. was getting the meat was 16. Oh, that would have been sample. even a better okay. story. Right. Yeah, her, <laughs> there you her go. kind of slow 16-year-old kid. So yes, she, use that. Okay. She's <laughs> Well, she's got her baby on the counter, and she's saying, can he try uh, the uh, Swiss, please? And then the baby would chew it a little bit and spit out. She goes, he doesn't like Swiss. <laughs> so you're going, why didn't she work this at home? And then what really delighted me, she said, can, I, can he try the prosciutto? And I'm like, you're at Subway, lady. Uh, so it's I just so start drawing it for some reason, and I can't stop laughing. And I get home, I show it to Rose, and then she starts laughing about it. And when you're going through this, just laughs don't happen a lot. You know, mm-hmm. we laughed a lot more than most people would during this. But there's times where it's just so crazy. So then every time I'd bring her down something to eat or something, I'd draw something else for her, and she kept laughing. And then finally, exhaustion set in of me just doing it too many times. She said, just put it up. Just show other people, please show somebody else (laughs) other than me. I can't look at these anymore. So I put them up on the web and I got people just started really liking it. And like everything in my life, if people like something, I just keep doing it a little bit more fun Mm -hmm. to do because also you can be quiet when you're drawing. So it was a, it was therapeutic a little bit for me. Yeah. And uh, and then I got really lucky. Uh, Fast Company, uh, Joe Berkowitz, he did an article about it. And then other places picked it up. And then it became a little bit bigger. And then I ended up getting a book deal. And then I That's did so cool. an art show at the Hamilton Selway Gallery. Yeah. Uh, so that was crazy, you know, where it was Basquiat's and Warhol's. And then oh my nonsense. gosh, 
That's so crazy. It was crazy, and they were and they were selling them five hundred dollars each. It was nuts. So it was. Wait, they're, sell, it was, and it they're was, selling yours, your napkins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. So the original one. Wow. So there was a big line to get in. It was crazy. That's so it amazing. was really fun, but I'd never really. So it was. Rose had to remind me all the time that when people compliment you, don't don't undercut it. Take the compliment. Uh, people go, I love the simplicity of your drawing, and I go, Well, that's the best I can do. <laughs> <laughs> or well, my trick is to not draw what I can't draw. Right, so and we're going to get into that. Very simple. Yeah. So right. it just happens. So then Rose is also a big part of this. So there's nothing that I do that she looks. So I just fill up notebooks of jokes, and then Rose goes through them, and then picks out, and then she rewrites stuff or goes, oh, wow. "Don't make a glory. Don't do a glory hole joke." <laughs> so, <laughs> so like even when we did the book, she put it together. She goes, what do I know about putting a book? She goes, all I know is clothes. I go, we'll put it together like an outfit. So mm-hmm. she put the whole book together and was able to cho- – at that time, I think – I don't know. I think I'd done it like for 1,500 times. So I find like when you're writing, you got to write 10 jokes to come up with one or two good ones. Right. So I've written – you know, so I've got pads and pads and pads and pads of stuff. So there's not one line or one thing that wasn't made better because of Rose. So it's truly a, a partnership. Yeah. Um, so she's been so, great about it. That's great. So to, just to digress a little bit. So when you, like you said, when you, and I, I, I would title it because it was just so funny when I was reading that story about you in the, in the subway shop, it was so like curb your enthusiasm Seinfeld, which I just love. Yeah, I love that weird. observational situational type of humor. So I would title it the grunt because I just thought it was just so <laughs> funny. That's it. The grunt. Um, but it's just such a I'm classic amazed story. by bad behavior. I love it so much. And yeah. I encourage it from people. Hey, is it okay <laughs> if you put my baby up there? Yeah, I would. You know, don't go by me, but I would definitely have your baby up there. I would let the right. baby touch money too in the register. So I, I encourage it. I just, I'm delighted by how, odd people are yes um, yes so when you start like you said this is kind of your first i gotta see this one too i gotta find is it on your website i gotta like find that well i lost a lot of them when a mr pibb spilled on a bunch of napkins <laughs> that's one <laughs> oh, thing yeah. that people always ask me all the time is do you really draw a napkin and i go yep we only had one rule which was i couldn't buy the napkins you can't buy them Oh, I was, that was going to be one of my questions. Like what brand yeah. do you use? I know you use them from this, from the actual fast food places, but I thought you might yeah. also have a stack at home. Well, no? I would go with a big stack or I was always so, uh, I'm always so self-conscious. I would always make Rose go into the cheesecake factory. And I remember <laughs> she went in once and took a fistful and the guy looked at her, what are you doing? And she goes, I hurt my neck. And she put it on her neck and walked out. Here you go, Johnny. <laughs> So uh, Habit, which is a chain here, which is the, the best ones, but that was one thing that during the pandemic where places wouldn't give you extra napkins. So I was running on a, a nap, napkin deficit for a little while. Okay. So, yeah, so that was uh, – and then every year everything's made a little bit worse. So one year one place is a great napkin, 
And then the next year, Uh-oh. it's just horrible. And then there's pens that I had to go through. There's certain times where I'm going, I wish I didn't draw napkins because right. most pens will rip it. So I had to find a, a special pen. So then, so then what, what pens like do you, um, this, what do you use oh, pen wise? Uh, Prismacolor ones. Okay. They're called. So, uh, so they're the ones that don't rip. And the one, one of the many sad things that happened to us personally during the pandemic, the, a gentleman by the name of David Galgano, who gave me my art show, wanted right. to do another show. And he said, uh, hey, can you do them on little plates, too? So I went, yeah, I'll do them on plates. So, okay. um, so we were going to do the show. The pandemic happened. And unfortunately, in April, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. So it was really oh. horrible. He and his husband were both really good friends, and he was a guy, too, that would guide me through stuff. And he was truly my first big fan. I mean, he got me the art show through uh, – Rose did the show with uh, Sutton Foster. Um, she did a show called Buns he- Bunheads, rather. And then Sutton was liked it and then showed it to David, and then David said, hey, you got to do an art show. So I didn't know that I could do like everything in my life. I didn't, right. I didn't know. I just don't ever think that big about stuff. Right. You know, I've done some stuff with the napkin stuff. We did one year for Christmas. We did please stop lying t-shirts and we sold, I don't know, like 1500 of them. Just, wow. Just, yeah. I saw that written, t-shirt. That's really stop cool. Lying. Yeah. Those, so, and we did Christmas cards one year. Uh, okay. We sold a lot of those, but the, the harder thing is trying to, figure out how to get stuff to people. You know, I'm very lucky that I've got people in Australia. It's, it's strange. Like I've had four or five people have asked me if they could, only one guy did it, uh, which was a guy to band his friend uh, would ask to do, Hey, can I get a tattoo of this? And I would just encourage people, no, don't get a man in napkin tattoo. Something should mean more to you than this. This is just silliness. That'll be on your body forever. So that's where I find like I'm like my mother do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people have been, uh, the, the response from people has really been uh, fantastic. Where at one point I was going on job interviews for writing. And uh, guys would say, Matt, uh, you know, there's a guy who does this thing on napkins. And I go, yeah, that, that's me. Really? <laughs> yeah. So start, some people just know me as, a, and I, I don't know, it seems a little bit lofty to call myself an artist, um, uh, particularly if you see what I do. It is, you know, there's not a lot of, um, I'm not a big time, you know, I couldn't do anything. I can't draw a person, you know, I can get the basic shape of somebody. Right. uh, You know, when I have lucky enough to live here of having animated friends and other guys, they're the real deal that you look at stuff. But, and and a lot of artists are fans of mine, which is great. Again, not to discount what you do, you do clearly. And this is something when I'm always looking at, whether it's comics or art or even music and stuff like that. Like I'm always looking at, the person's style and you clearly have a style, John, and I love it. How really quick while we're talking, how did you come up with that style though? I mean, was there any specific artist or artwork, something that inspired you to, you know, I mean, you clearly have your own system. Well, it was more of like, I can't, if I can't draw it, don't draw it. So that's why I just, you know, don't do a lot of hands or other things. I, 
I find what I'm really good at drawing, and I spend mm-hmm. a lot more time than I think people want to believe, where sometimes the really more simple stuff might take me like 30 napkins to finally do it right. Wow. No, I can tell tell that this stuff takes a while to do. It's, this is not, especially with a marker on a napkin, I can't even imagine the timeliness and the effort. And like you said, maybe multiple rounds that you have to do to get it right. Um, But no, I love it. And my printing too. People love, people love my handwriting for some reason. It looks exactly like you got a letter from prison from some guy. So it's that weird kind of like riding a late night disc jockey who has a show on and he's asking how she smells or something. That's my, that's what I view my handwriting as. Again, I went to a Catholic school. The nuns tried to beat the left-handedness out of me where they would take the the pen out of your hand and put it in your right hand. So that was just, and you find out the nuns just didn't, you know, I, I still tie my shoes with bunny ears. Because uh, I couldn't figure, nobody could teach me in my family because everybody was right-handed. So everything I do is opposite. Okay. <laughs> so that's why the nuns tried to keep me from being left-handed. So I hold my pen to like a, a monkey, like I'm holding a stick. I don't hold it the proper way either. So uh, do you, when yeah, you, I think wait, that's, that's just been my trick. When you hold the pen, yeah. how do you, do you actually wrap like your thumb over your pointer finger and your middle finger? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Well, that's how no, I write. Yeah, that's how, I, how do... I do everything. Yeah. It's weird. It's hard. I'm right-handed. Yeah. But that's what I was going to ask well, you. Well, also one being time... left-handed. Go ahead. Have you tried to use both hands? No, I haven't really. Okay. I'll have to, but no. feels weird in your brain. My wrist that broke, so I was in a cast for five months, I think, in high school. So oh then I started gosh. writing with my right hand. You, it's a different way of thinking. Because don't they do mm-hmm. the art stuff where to do it upside down to get your brain to think different ways? And, right. Um, uh, so there's ways of doing that and breaking stuff down. Like I've never – I tried to take a, a drawing course, uh, and it was fun – but halfway through, the guy who was teaching the course went, hey, do you do this napkin site? And he goes, you got a big following. So <laughs> it was this weird thing of him going, you're more successful at this than me. And I'm like, I, I don't know about that. I'm just drawing <laughs> on napkins, man. It's not that big of a deal. Anyone, That's what I like. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. So we used to do more guest napkins, and we did have, like, Kurt Russell and uh, Kate Flannery from The Office. And we, we really had Nia Vardalos. We had a lot of people, celebrities do uh, drawings for it, which was great. And it's just, mm-hmm. I, I, and then just friends, people would call me up, hey, can I do a Christmas one? Of course you can do a Christmas one. Right. It's for everybody. That's Anyone so cool. can do it. And it's, it's my favorite thing to see because I love how personal it is. So it's somebody putting pen to paper. You know, it's so much different than I was a kid where you would get a letter once a year or you get a letter maybe once a month. It was such a big deal. Right. Now you read like 50 emails a day. Letters aren't the same. And it's such a, it was just so much fun. So when other people do it, it's my favorite thing. That's cool. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I'm still a card person. I love to send someone a card, like a handwritten, like I'm like, yeah, I'm still like, 
old school like that. And you know what? A lot of the card stores are closing down. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty devastated. <laughs> I am, John. Like, <laughs> I miss, you know, I really, yeah. Like that kind Boy, of going like, I'm not going to spend stuff. nine bucks. Like, this is $9 for this card. There's no oh, way I I'm do. doing that at all. No, I do. <laughs> That's the sad thing is I do. Uh, get a nice yeah. one with just your initial on it, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, right. Yeah, I love uh, – maybe it's selfish, but I love – same thing. It's also how you're raised, that if someone does something nice to you, it's nice to write a thank you note to somebody. Absolutely. And maybe to – Maybe too. I enjoy it more than they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. That you're, and then you feel weird. Like, hey, did you get the note I sent you? Because it's two <laughs> months later and they haven't said anything. Right. So I don't expect a thank you call for my thank you note. But <laughs> you know, it's I know. just good manners. I think uh, I know too. It's just part of what gets me from going too nuts is knowing that my parents are still alive that I won't do anything too that bad. Like when I got here once, there was a guy, hey, uh, we're looking for somebody to write this porn. So we ended up writing myself and two guys. We wrote a funny version of a porn. So it was just all the comedy stuff in it. Right. And then there was a bit that we were doing of a mailman who keeps showing up in the back uh, going to do mail. And, hey, aren't you supposed to sleep with me? So we just were goofing. And the porn guy goes, hey, do you want to do this in the movie? And I said, no, I can't be in a porn. My parents are still alive. <laughs> right. So, oh my but it was, they were the nicest guys ever that paid cash and nothing bad happened. We didn't have to be around. It was part of two of going, hey, do you guys want some porn on the way out? No, no, I'm, I'm good. I would be too afraid again that I would die. And then my family would go through my stuff and find out I had an old VHS tape or something. Right. I, right. I would just be too embarrassed. So, yeah. I think that's both the Catholic shame and just growing up in a home that you're just taught to be, yeah, you should be embarrassed of everything about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it helps my kind of comedy of stuff. Yeah. I I did one this week about wearing a headband. I put a headband on and go, yeah, it's fun in the house, but I would never leave home. Right. No, I love that one. That was great. Um, no, I mean, your, your, your comics on the napkins are just fantastic. And I just love how you incorporate everything from, you know, weight issues to politics, to religion, to, you know, kind of some, you know, darker stuff that has There's to do with There's a lot of death in it too. Yes, well, that's what I weird. Say. Like, I've done so much. Well, I'm trying to develop a show now where it's called, uh, I just started doing stuff like game time at the morgue, dodgeball at the morgue, and it was everything you thought. So I wanted to do a show about guys working in a, uh, a Tallahassee, uh, uh, not as much as a morgue, but a forensic center. Okay. So we were going to funny. call it Stiffs. So in the opening of the cover of it is I, I actually put my artwork into the script, which you're not really – always supposed to do is, you know, script is a script, you know, you're not really supposed to put drawings in it and stuff, but I just felt like, you know what, this is what I want to do. So this is what I should do. Cause you know, when you're, you submit, you know, like a spec script or something that you've written, you always have to remember that whoever's reading a development person or other person, they've read 40 scripts before lunch. Right. Looking for the next thing. 
So right. if you could figure out a way to do something to make your thing stand out without it being too gimmicky, mm-hmm. you should do that. So I yeah, think it helps cool. that, um, you know, we were lucky enough to where there was one place wanted to do a sketch show of the Man and Atkins. So um, we worked for, you know, six months developing the script and everything, and it didn't work out at the end. But you know what? 90% of show business doesn't work out. 99% right. of show business stuff doesn't work out. Right. So you might as well enjoy the ride while you're doing it. And that was something also that I've had to learn in life is like, if you're doing something like this, stick to your guns if you can, you know, because at the end of the day, if they pass on it, now you're stuck with something that you don't even like because you thought you were going to get paid for it. So that's the weird thing of, of figuring out where to compromise, where not to compromise in life in general. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Because I think everybody thinks they have to be happy right now. And that's what everybody, I think the only right is that we all have to be equally miserable, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So it's just, they're confident, you know, it's not everything you wanted, but it's a lot of what you wanted. Mm -hmm. So, and now I'm working on a live action version of uh, of uh, the Matt and Napkin. So what we're doing is we're doing the version of a guy drawing napkins for his wife who's going through chemo. Oh wow! So okay. So we're and we'll make it. I'll make it funny. But it was one of those where I was really hesitant to do it. And even before the art show, we were really hesitant to share this story with people of Rose going through chemo and me drawing for it. Cause it just seemed too personal. Okay. But I think once you get rid of all that stuff, cause when Rose found out we had cancer, you know, she did like uh, that the movie with Seth Rogen and Barbara uh, and Streisand, she was midway through chemo. She did not stop working through anything, mm-hmm. you know? So she was coming from, you know, barely able to walk or we oh, had gosh. one case definitely where you're going, I don't think this is going to work out. Um, and then she was back at work like five days later, four days later. So wow. we were hesitant to let people know what she was going through. But then she just said, you know what? I want to control the narrative of this and I don't want to lie about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to tell people the truth. So I think it was more helpful. So particularly now people, as they're going through this kind of challenge, get a hold of either Rose or me to talk about, hey, this is what we're dealing with now. Uh, do you have any tips? So that's been the good thing. And the other good thing that came out of, I wouldn't be drawing on napkins if Rose didn't get cancer. That's the <laughs> right. crazy oh. thing. You know, yeah, I think on so, so many levels, something good it, came out of yeah. something miserable. So no. it's how do you want to look at your life? You know, do you want it to be a woe is me thing? Or if it ended like parenthood and she passed away, I don't know whether I could continue doing this. Right. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But like I said, something really good. So when you're seeing an art show that's filled up with people, you know, there's a line outside to get in. You go, wait, this is because of some of the worst moments of our lives as a couple. Right. Uh, wow. So, but, and that stuff, it either makes you better 
or I can understand too why some people can't deal with it. Being mm-hmm. a caregiver or going through something where you have no control of your body, it's not for everybody. <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't even imagine how challenging and just like you said, I mean, you have to reframe it a lot. And that's what you guys did. You tried to look at it from a perspective of you're trying to make her laugh and, you know, use it as a coping mechanism. And she's saying, hey, keep doing this. And like you said, it's unfortunate. The fortunate thing is she's doing well, which is great. And I'm so happy to hear yeah, that. But the unfortunate thing working is like every- crazy. Yeah. And you see people, too, that will go, hey, I'm trying to help my friend who's going through this. Mm -hmm. And then my advice Mm -hmm. sometimes is I don't think you can do that. It's it's a lot, you know, for and then my friend will go to my friend said to me, well, how'd you do it with Rose? And I went, well, she's my wife. You know, there is a difference. There's only. It's harder. Or listen, maybe I'm not that good of a person. We, We had a friend who was going through this during the pandemic and people were, you know, pitching in to give him rides and, um, and helping. But there are times when sometimes, well, you build your own family. So sometimes mm-hmm. you can do it with your family, particularly California, people build their own families here because a lot of people aren't from here. Okay. So you're able to do it, but it's, there is a big difference between a wife and a friend. Right. So, right. so again, like you said, we ended up getting a happy story out of it because I think we were determined that it was going to be a happy story. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Probably I didn't even know. You know, I just kept yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. People really. That's great. That's, I'm glad she's doing well. I'm glad that you're doing done, well with going, the... Yeah. And I'm going, yeah, I'm still doing it. Uh, it's fun and it's weird and, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll figure out what it will B, it doesn't matter if it turns into a script or doesn't turn into a script. It's also, I think you have to have one thing in your life that you love Mm -hmm. uh, to do because there's a lot of things that you have to do for either money or just you have to do things just for commitments for other people. So you need to have something that's just yours that you like doing. I think it makes the rest of the world, the rest of your world better. I I think that's such a relevant comment to make I mean that just it just really like resonated with me when you said that because I think a lot of us are still searching for that you know like you said you found Matt a napkin and I think some people might be there or they're not there yet or they're still trying to find what is that one thing so yeah no that was a really great great and you can do whatever you want to do you know I I don't edit as much because person that I am today but if you want to do something just do it Right. You're you are exactly where you are in life because of you, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and that's yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, no. I mean, so it's just blunt, do it. it if there's something it, like you're, I'm sure you would like going. Should I do a podcast? Should I do this? You just just do it. What's yeah. the worst thing that could happen? Is it doesn't work out? Right. So what? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Absolutely. And same thing with comedy. It's like like saying like. Do it so you don't drive yourself nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants that nagging thing of, I really want to be doing this? You know, it doesn't mean right. you have to quit everything to, you know, join the circus. Right. You know, there's, there's weird, fun things that you can just do and just do it. And you don't have to be the best at it. Right. You know, just, well, I just you wanted just do it to, for you. 
Yeah, I just wanted to say, and and we'll start to you know wrap things up in a little bit. Um, sure. You know, personally, I just wanted to say I I can't tell you how touched I was by that napkin you made with my show name on it, John. I mean, oh, seriously. I have no, to send it, was, it to you. You'll have to give me your address, and I'll send oh it to you. Oh my gosh, no, John, it was just serious. Well, like I said, I'll talk off there. I tend oh, to I'm be glad. very self. I tend to be very self-deprecating, and you'll learn why. Um, I use it as a coping <laughs> skill. No, so I'm telling you, it's really weird. Humor over the past, I would say, I don't know, five to ten years, I've really learned to use it as a huge coping skill, and I love it. But just being who you are, this you know, TV producer and this writer and taking the time to come on my show, when it's hard for me to get people sometimes, they might be like, well, you're not Rolling Stones, or how many people do you have? But when I got home from work yesterday and I saw that, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, uh, those are the types of things I'm telling you that just mean the absolute world to me. So I just want to say thank you again. Uh, yeah, that's, a, again, through the cancer stuff with with Rosie, um, that Gilmore Girls is and Parenthood are two shows that are big for binging people that are going through uh, health challenges. And the same thing with my napkin site. People are going through stuff, and they have no idea that are how many on the site. So mm-hmm. people get this thing called chemo brain where they can't concentrate as well. So it was one of those things where people are able to look at my silly one-panel cartoons, and they can – so they'll flip through about 20 or 30 of them. So then I'll get a note from somebody of going, hey, could I buy one? My my mom or somebody is going through chemo, and then I just go, no, you cannot buy one. I'm going to mail it to you. Aww, you know, that's awesome. I just know how hard it is yeah. uh, for something. And we were trying at some point to do something of, of having uh, – we're going to donate a bunch of books to a bunch of um, uh, different cancer places, but it just turned into uh, a harder thing to accomplish. Okay. Okay. And then a couple of them too, or sometimes I'll have a lot of kids really like the book. And then you're going like, wow, there's a, there's a a fetus ABA joke, one joke. (laughs) Are you okay with that? There are a couple of things where I go, yeah, that's really inappropriate. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) so yeah, yeah. So that's a tough one. So that's been another, like I said, another by using, like you're saying, by using humor as a coping mechanism, nothing, that's particularly when you're going through something tough, that's the greatest gift you can give your friend is just to make them laugh when they're going through mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. You know, you can keep dropping off gifts or any of this other stuff, but people just want to break from whatever the heck's going on. So Definitely. this is going to be something to see how people roll out of this. I think there's going to be a little bit of PTSD with some people. Um this is not going to be easy for some people getting back into the world after a full year and oh yeah months of- i will I will share with you what I do off the air, and I think you will be able to appreciate that yeah it, yeah. it was a very, very big challenge working throughout this um this I time uh, yeah, yeah. Or pe- I think the only people I've seen recognize it are people that have been through big traumas in their life. Right. Going, yeah, this is coming. You, you do see people, through, and I don't know whether it's just California. People are are uh, uses um, with wait staff, with people in supermarkets. They're driving super aggressive, so you're seeing people. Uh, so I mean, 
really all you can do is I'm just finding I'm taking more of a people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not definitely the most patient guy in the world, but if someone can't get to you right now, you take a breath and go, hey, when you get to me, you get to me. You know, make right. more of an effort right now. Which, Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. You're just going to get mad at yourself later that night going, why was I yelling <laughs> right. at a guy at Starbucks for? <laughs> well, that's the, uh, that's again, another, that's another topic. I'm sure you could have much, unfortunately, I don't mean to say humor from, but it's just, it's beyond ridiculous how people, like you said, are, are behaving and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> um, well, I think it's, it goes back to, to everybody being equally miserable. Right. <laughs> that's the, it just that's the only right we have that everybody gets to say what they want to say. You don't you don't have to be mean about it, but you have to be polite. Right. You know. Right. You know. Oh. So, that's so simple. So let's do this, John, because oh my gosh, we've yes. done almost an hour and forty-five, and I'm sure we could go on forever. But again, and I always say this to my guests: um, you're always welcome back on, and so we could always talk in the future about you know when you have stuff, new stuff coming out with Mad Napkin or new stuff in the works sure. just to come on and promote it. So I would love to do something at another time too. But um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Let's tell people Thank where they you. can find you on social media, your website and all sure. that good stuff. Go to uh, Matta, M-A-T-T-A, napkin.com is a site. And then I don't think people go to websites as much anymore. They go to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or go to any of those. You could find me there. And then if you want to look at my wife, um, she's on um, uh, on HBO Max. She's doing a show called Hacks with Gene Smart. So she, they just, uh, I think the fourth one just was out today. It's hard cool. to figure out everything on TV right now because you're going, wait, is that Hulu? Is that Netflix? Is that I know. Well, that's another but, conversation. Right. I yeah, know. it drives you nuts of how much stuff, but. She was very lucky to work, like I said, during the pandemic, and she does work a bunch, so it's that's always great. fun to see what she does. So, yeah, so you can see her, too. So that's my stuff, and I don't know what's going to happen in the new year. I think I think everybody's looking at, at, as I guess it's the new year now, as the world's starting to open up, and hopefully everybody's doing what they can to do the right things of uh, hopefully this is – I, hopefully better times are ahead, but I, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing next. Right. You know, so right. I've got a bunch of things out there and whether they happen or don't happen, hopefully I can pick up, you know, I do a little bit of work for different people. So great. Uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully something yeah. good. I'm sure something good will happen. I think, you know, and a cool analogy to use, and I, I do this now myself personally, is you're just throwing all those fishing lines out. And I think at some point, and yeah. I think you've kind of reiterated this throughout the whole interview, is that someone's going to potentially bite at one point. But you know what? you got to throw lines at, a lot out there. And if for some reason they don't, that's okay. You can learn from it. Fantastic. You move on. You Yeah. So I think keep doing what you're doing because you're just, you're fantastic, John. And it's been an absolute delight oh, to have you, you on. Oh, thank you so much. Again, I'm a big fan. I've listened to your show about a dozen times now. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm curious to know what we could talk off the air, which ones you enjoyed listening to or what stood mm-hmm. out to you. So thank you so much. I appreciate cool. it. Have a good one. Thanks again. Okay, John, you too. We will be in touch, and thanks again. And um, the, just so you know, the podcast, in terms of you know people being able to download and stream it, it'll probably be available within another 10 to 15 minutes if anyone can tune in. Ah, cool. 
All right. All right. Thanks again, Thanks John. Thanks again for your time. Bye. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Again, John Matta, TV producer, writer, and creator of Matta Napkin. So if for some reason you tuned in a little late, check out the podcast. It'll be available within the next 10 to 15 minutes. Um, please follow me on Instagram at Carrie Edelman and Twitter also at Carrie Edelman. And I'm on the Facebook uh, pages, personal pages, and the Carrie Edelman Show. Follow these, and you will be seeing some upcoming interviews. I'm in the process of booking some more people, so I'm really excited to share who will be on next. And, yeah, please check out the interviews. I've done over about 250 now. They're available on iTunes as well as iHeartRadio and some of the other digital sites. And, again, I'll take you on a really creative, unique, and different journey with my guests where you're going to really learn a lot about them that you probably haven't heard elsewhere. So thanks again, and have a great day.